Saturday morning. Welcome to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, your host, on another Saturday morning, February. Gosh, thank God January's over. It was such a cold month, you know. It's been snowy, cold. You know, we had a little warm-up in there in January. Ice storms. I'm ready for spring. I don't know about anybody else, but this cold weather we've been having, I, I don't remember a winter that's been this cold. I don't remember, uh, well, I mean, we've had plenty of snowy winters, you know, and ice storms and all of that. But this cold, you know, I'm glad we're kind of thinking we're going to get past this. It's going towards March now. You know, February is kind of a month of let's get busy. That's to me. You know, it's the time when we start really producing a lot of our plants. Uh, You know, right now, what's starting to come in? Okay. So a lot of unrooted cuttings are coming in. And when I say unrooted, what what we do is we get these little starts and they're these little cuttings and they have no roots on them. And we stick them in our plug trays and we root them on and grow them on for the rest of the season. We also are starting to sow seeds. Perennial liners are coming in, meaning the little starts and bare root, you know, that we plant up into pots and grow those on for, you know, for them to be ready in April and May and June. The Easter lilies are looking great. They're up. They're really looking wonderful. The primrose are really starting to take shape. You know, so there's, you know, it's that time of year where all of a sudden it'll be, okay, the pansies are here. You know, the pansies are set to arrive this coming week. We'll be transplanting those, and then we're off to the races. Then the next, you know, few days we start planting hanging baskets. We're seeding and and getting all these liners ready for some of the plants in 4-inch pots and 6-inch pots and 8-inch pots coming up. You know, so there's no break anymore in the garden center industry. And, you know, I was at the main landscape and nursery show, um, a couple weeks ago. And, uh, this coming week we'll be at, at new England grows, uh, Tom Atwell last week talked a little bit about those two events and, you know, the general theme of garden center owners and, and landscapers is there really is no break anymore. You think about that landscaper that's out there plowing all winter. Well, this has been a heck of a year. They are, they've been working their butts off. And here we are, it's February 1st. Well, you know, we may be gardening here in less than eight weeks. You know, whether it be mulching or doing other things. So now is that perfect time. To really start and make sure you get on top of your planning. And we've talked about this time and time again, and I can't stress, February is the month for planning in your garden. Okay? Again, it's still a winter month, but we can wish for spring. We can start looking at all the websites. We can start looking at gardening catalogs. We can look at new plants. You know, and we've been working very, very hard to add a lot of new plants and update our descriptions and whatnot on our website. So visit estbrooksonline.com backslash radio for the podcast for the show or just estbrooksonline.com, you know, to see the new pictures that we're putting up, the new plants that are coming up. We'll be talking about more of those as the shows kind of get closer to spring. Uh, We'll be having some of our vendors on. We're lining up a bunch of things right now. But today we're going to talk about a few questions that have come in over the last couple months. I haven't been covering some of these questions because I've been kind of pooling them until I felt kind of the time was a little bit better. 
So, you know, right now in the garden center, we're stocking the store. We're starting to get the shelves refilled. Yarmouth is starting to come together. We've broken open all the pallets of all those lovely tools and gift ideas and all of those things. We're cleaning the shelves. We're restocking the shelves. We'll be open sometime in early March in Yarmouth. And it's that time of year where it's kind of exciting. You know, some of the new things we're opening up, it's like, wow, look at that. That's cool. You know, customers going to love this, that, or whatever it might be. But let's talk about a few questions that we've had. And this one's from Norm. He's in Springvale. And Norm, you've asked a bunch of questions over the over the year last year of our show here. And this one I think, you know, we've we've addressed a number of times in, in different ways. So his question is with all the hype on not planting impatience, I did not plant any because I, I have problems the year before. Well, my neighbor planted them, and of course he did absolutely wonderful that last year. In the same location, no problems. So what's the scoop for 2014? We talked a little bit about this with Tom Atwell last week, so probably the question kind of is answered, I guess, to an extent. But I wanted to kind of dive into this a little bit more, and we're also going to have Lois Stack actually is going to be back on it from the Cooperative Extension. We're setting that up right now. She was unavailable this week, but we're trying to get her back to give the science behind where we went wrong with this impatient downy mildew issue. So here's my layman's thoughts on what happened. We all scream from the top of our lungs, don't do this, don't do that. And, you know, I can tend to be an extremist at time. You know, when it comes to disease, I tend to just cut the problem right out. When actuality, what I probably should have done is caution. Things may not be as bad as it seems. (laughs) With impatience, you know, it's interesting because my mother planted some. You know, I had a few in my yard. I had some problems earlier than I thought I was going to, but I think that was more care-related because I had them in a place that I really didn't care for them well. And it all goes back to limiting stress on plants, I think is what we're we're getting to here. Impatient downy mildew, in my opinion – we cut the problem out because a lot of people didn't plant impatience. So from yard to yard to yard, we didn't have that wind spreading the spore around. We didn't have the right weather conditions either. Basically, in my opinion, we had the perfect summer to not have problems with impatience. Normally, we have rainy stints with humidity throughout the summer months. And looking back on last summer, I didn't see those conditions for something like powdery mildew, downy mildews, all of these spore-related problems. We didn't have those stints of really wet, rainy weather in the summer months. In July and August, when we have the heat and humidity, we got a thunderstorm, but we didn't really have any periods of terrible rain that I can recall. So the conditions to me weren't ripe for the spore to really explode. Now, why didn't we have problems in the soil? I don't know all the science behind all of this, and that's why I want to get some people to come on. So not all the answers are really detailed yet, I guess. I've been asking a lot of folks at the state level to give us some answers, and of course, they don't have all the answers. 
This disease is something that did strike pretty aggressively Massachusetts South. So we know it's there. We know it's a problem. So all I can give you for a guideline is I still want to kind of push towards using impatience in a fashion that is responsible. If the disease never hits us until August, then I'm going to kind of come back around. I'm going to say, you know what, let's just plant impatience where you want them. And if we get all the way to mid to late August without the disease ever being a problem because of our environmental conditions where we're cooler, we have less humidity, we don't warm up as much along the coast here. You know, Maine's a special place when it comes to summer. We never really get that hot. Last summer, what was it, maybe a week, maybe two, we had some hot weather in there. Maybe I can think of a week in July and a week in August that was really hot. But other than that, the heat and humidity doesn't build like they get in Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, you know, the areas where you get rain, you get heat and humidity, and fungus just goes crazy. So, Norm, I think basically I would recommend you continue to use some impatience. I'm going to still keep kind of touting them as using them kind of in containers, but I'm going to hold all, I'm going to hold the right to change my mind after talking with Lois Stack and some of the other people at the state. Now, will they be right? Will they be wrong? Only Mother Nature knows. And so I'm going to say, go ahead and use some impatience. Go ahead and, and get some of those impatience out. But like I said last week on the show, there's a silver lining to this impatient thing. And I like to look at this as a real, real positive. You probably tried some other plants that did very well in the shady location. You probably tried some things you never would try because you've always used impatience. So I look at this as a positive that there are many other options that you can use in shade. There's many other options that gave you great flowers like begonias. You know, maybe you tried some of the bacopa. Maybe you tried some of the lobelias. You know, um, the sun patients and the New Guinea patients are something that I think we should use more of anyways. So I think you were able to find some other things. Coleus. We've talked about a million other things that you can substitute. And my hope is that gardeners actually became more diverse in their shade gardens in this in 2013. And that even if we can use impatience, they're still going to use some other things that are going to really add to your garden, add a new element, a new texture, a new color. So hopefully you were able to try out some of those. Norm, I know that doesn't completely answer the question. I know you probably want a yes or a no. I'm saying yes, I think you should use some impatience. And we could be sitting here next year in February going, man, that was a mistake. So I wouldn't go all the way back and plant, you know, masses and masses of impatience. I would still limit it because the threat is still out there when it comes to impatience downy mildew. Now, there's a whole host of other things that I'm going to talk about also today. And one is at the Maine Landscape and Nursery Association meeting the other day, um, Ann Gibbs also talked about um, emerald ash borer. And I wanted to kind of bring this up because it's on our doorstep, folks. It's in New Hampshire. The state probably thinks it's here someplace. We just haven't found it. it is basically the in, in a nutshell what I think they were saying to us at the meeting. 
So you're going to see all kinds of these blue traps being held, you know, hung up in trees. The big thing is if you have ash trees in your yard, is you really want to keep an eye out for this insect. My suggestion is you should search this insect on the websites out there, Emerald Ash Borer, look at some of the websites, look at what the insect looks like, look at what the damage looks like, and then keep an eye on your ash trees. I can't stress enough what a devastating insect this is. It's very interesting. In the town of Yarmouth, we did a tree survey. And on our main street, years and years ago, we the, the streets were all lined with elm trees. And it was just, you look at the old pictures, you know, these great big canopies, you know, beautiful arched branches covering the roads, you know, just picturesque. Well, since we had, you know, Dutch elm disease, certainly, you know, a lot of those trees are gone. Many of you probably know the Herbie story, which is the largest elm in in, uh, New England that was cut down in the last few years. And we used the Herbie story as basically we took the wood from Herbie and we made all these different products and sold them to create a tree fund in Yarmouth. And so... You know, we sold cutting boards and and bookmarks and pens and all these different things out of the wood from Herbie. So we turned it into a really wonderful thing. Now, what a lot of people don't know is Herbie was the tree that I stood at at the bus stop growing up. My parents' house is two houses away from Herbie. So as a young child, I would walk down to the bus stop and I would stand at the base of this great big tree. And I can remember as a kid looking up and just going, wow, you know, it's amazing. You know, this, I mean, it had to have been 150 feet tall, 150 plus wide, this great big arching canopy, just an amazing tree. It's what I call a noble tree. Now, are ash trees noble trees? Not really. They were a big fad in the probably 70s and early 80s and even early 90s. Ash trees were planted everywhere. It was one of our favorite trees to spec in a commercial job site and or new residential. When we did the tree survey in Yarmouth, we found that we have a very large portion of ash trees in the center of our town. So an insect like this is going to devastate Main Street again. So what does that mean? I'm kind of coming full circle here is plant diversity is a huge thing in your yard. I want you to think about if you're going to line your driveway, if you line it with one species, it's going to look great. It's going to look beautiful. But what happens? You could open yourself up to one insect or one disease to kill everything. And that's what I'm talking about. So when you're talking about putting a street tree in front of your house, say you're building a new house, City of Portland requires two street trees to be put in. Look around the neighborhood and find out what other trees are there and maybe plant something different than what is in the surrounding areas and woods. Plant diversity is huge. Emerald ash borer will devastate a lot of towns. And this also will be a huge, huge tax burden because what's going to have to happen? All those trees are going to have to be cut down. Who's going to pay for that? Either you or the town. And many of these trees are not planted on town property. They're planted in your yards. So be vigilant. 
really, really, really keep an eye out for Emerald Ash Borer. Again, visit the state websites, you know, Google search it. There are so many good sites about Emerald Ash Borer, but it's on our doorstep, folks. It's going to come. And the other thing is if you have any people that are coming to the state of Maine, make sure they do not bring wood products into the state, like pallets, firewood. That is the way a lot of these insects are moved around. Originally, a lot of these insects came from China and other countries in pallets, in pallet packing, in crates, and the eggs actually were transplanted over here. And then, of course, the insects just move around. So be very cautious. Firewood, I know it's been a very cold winter. If you live down in York County and you're ordering firewood, be very cautious about where the firewood's coming from. And then, of course, all those wonderful people who come camping from out of state. You know, if they're bringing firewood with them, that's where we could be in a big, big trouble. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk, WLOB. At Costa Maine Organic Products, we've known for a long time that plants love lobster just as much as people do. It's one of the reasons we started composting marine residuals back in 1996. And although we've had great success in getting gardeners and their plants hooked on lobster throughout New England, the Mid-Atlantic, and Midwest, the heart and soul of what we do is here in Maine. Plants love lobster because the calcium and chitin in the lobster shells break down in the composting process and become plant-ready food that help to make your plants strong and healthy. And of course, the plants don't use any butter, so they're even healthier. So support your local retailer and Maine's lobster industry by using Coast of Maine's Quaddy Lobster Compost in your garden. Coast of Maine, a lobster compost company. Approved for organic growers by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Visit us at www.coastofmaine.com. For over 60 years, Wiltproof has provided the most effective protection against moisture loss in plants under water stress, and no other product comes close. Our non-hazardous, organic, and biodegradable film is like having several layers of protection. As the outside layer of Wiltproof wears off with the weather, another layer forms. Wiltproof is the only horticulture anti-transparent that has the ability to provide this long-lasting protection. Put your trust in Wiltproof. Check out their site at wiltproof.com. That's wilt-proof.com. I want a great garden this year, but I don't know where to start. Does this sound like you? With so many great plants available, it can be tough knowing which ones are right for you and your home. The gardening pros at Estabrooks can help. Every time I come, they're always helpful to us. They are really knowledgeable about things because I don't know that much about gardening, so they always tell me what you know would be right in my house in the sun and the settings. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrook. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we're talking about emerald ash borer. We're going to get off this subject because it's kind of doom and gloom. And, you know, it's still winter, and we can't get depressed. Spring is coming, you know, but 
there are real, real problems out there with this insect. And I just want, you know, you can kind of hear the passion in my, in my voice. Um, I just want people to understand they need to be proactive in knowing what the signs are and what the problems are. And we'll probably talk more with Lois Stack about this, you know, uh, what we need to look for, what type of signs. We'll be bringing you more of that type of information as we get closer to spring. Obviously, you can't see the signs this time of year, but be informed. If you have a chance to partake and help the state with their traps and getting things up, contact them. They're always looking for volunteers to help with that project um, and map out some of the state. You know, if we can catch it early, we may be able to, you know, fend it off in some way. There's always ways to kind of get at insects. It's just we all have to be vigilant about it. So, you know, very, very hot-button topic Hopefully, it's not here for a long, long time. But let's take another question. This question is from Peter. He's from Freeport. And I, I want to make one mention. Some of these questions are from, you know, just after Christmas, you know, early January. Here we are, February 1st. Some of these questions I'm just kind of pooling up to take and do a show on questions. So um, hopefully, you're continuing to listen. And uh, But Peter from Freeport asks, you know, a couple things. Good shows in the past few weeks. I appreciate all the comments about trees, shrubs, and perennials. I have a couple questions about the show. Number one, do you anticipate having call-in time and questions and discussion or guests from time to time? Well, I, I, I assume, Peter, you probably were listening to some of the shows around Christmas. And Christmas time was a tough se- time of year to get a lot of guests to commit to taping the radio shows with me. And also it was that time of year where the holidays, everybody's busy. So yes, here's a couple things we're going to do with the show from typically basically April through say September, we're going to have live shows. Okay. They're going to be shows where you can call in at any time. It'll be live on the air on Saturday mornings you know, we'll be able to kind of go back and forth. We'll also have guests during that time. You know, guests will be periodic. We'll be doing shows on different, you know, topics throughout. If there are specific topics that you want covered, anyone out there, don't hesitate to email us at estabrooksonline.com backslash radio. I love to have topics that you're truly interested in. You know, sometimes... As an owner of a company, we can't see the forest through the trees. And sometimes we don't realize that we haven't covered something enough or we've just totally missed the boat on, a, on an item. So don't hesitate if there are specific things that you really, really want us to cover. Your second question is, do you talk about plants that only you have available at your shop or is limited to, you, to your inventory? No, that's not the case. I... If there is a plant that I think is worthy of talking about or you have a question about a plant that I don't have, I certainly want to talk about it. Um, It's not all about sales. It's not all about, you know, it's really the radio show is set up for an information situation. So that's why I submit those questions. If there are plants you're interested in that we don't stock, I might be able to give you an idea why we don't stock them. 
I might be able to give you an idea of, you know, my personal preference for the plant or why I don't stock it. We obviously, you're a good customer. We have certainly, you know, a wide range of plants. We can't stock everything. There is just too many varieties out there. And so we have to make choices. We also can get a lot of plants that we don't stock. You know, just because we don't stock it doesn't mean we can't purchase it in. Um, you know, so if there are specific things, n that kind of leads me into a great kind of discussion right now. I've talked about this on other shows, how important it is if you know you want specific things. This is the perfect time of year to contact your local garden center. I don't know, you say February? Why? I want to make sure people understand how the ordering process for a garden center or nursery works. Typically, we start ordering plants sometime the summer before the following season. So we start ordering sometime in August or September, probably, for the coming season. So in 2013, I started looking at new catalogs. I started doing orders sometime around probably the 1st of September for 2014. Here we are. It's February. So you think about these large nurseries we buy from. They're starting to think about, okay, we have these orders. You know, what do we need to get dug? What do we need to do to get the crop on a truck and to another garden center to sell? All of that takes months of planning. February is a perfect time for us to know about specific things you want, specific sizes, specific numbers, specific varieties. There's still good inventory out there to purchase and add to orders and build orders for 2014. Okay, and when I say 2014, I'm talking spring. Now, it's February 1st. In one month from now, they will be in full digging mode. A lot of times to add one of this or one of that, it's very tough for them to stop and add one more plant to a truck that's already been booked it's already been calculated for loading. It's already set to go. They can do it, and many suppliers work very close with us to do so. But if it was February 15th or, you know, a few weeks earlier, it would be very seamless, and your choices would be much wider. We might be able to give you an idea of five different sizes instead of two. The closer we get to spring, obviously, the nurseries are selling down on their inventory. Now, what I want to tell you folks is it's pretty good out there in the nursery industry right now. There is a big shift in what is happening. Now, think about a tree. It could take five years to grow that tree to be ready for market. So think of five years ago. How was the economy five years ago? Not very good, right? You know, we're seeing good signs that things are turning around. Well, five years ago, a lot of nurseries didn't put a lot of trees in the ground. They saw on the horizon, they're like, oh, geez, we're going to cut our production back maybe 20, 30, 40%. Well, what's happened now? We have to ramp production back up. So the next two to three years, you're going to find inventory is tight. 
What happens when inventory is tight? Supply and demand. Prices will go up. For certain things, it's going to be important if you know you want specific things, specific numbers, specific varieties, you're going to have to be proactive because we can't buy everything and put it in the yard. It's not possible. We can't tie up the money in inventory. We also can't anticipate the needs that you might want. So if you're looking for a contractor or to do a landscape project, now is the time to contact them. If you want to get in for spring, now's the time to start talking with us. So, Peter, I want to thank you for that question because it's amazing right now what we're doing at the garden centers. We're going through our 2013 list of plants that people requested. And for a lot of people, they don't understand what that means. So when you come into the garden center and we don't have something that you want, you can put what we call a nursery request in. Now, that's not an order or anything like that, but it's a request saying, I'm interested in this plant and this size. I'm interested in that. If you can get it, let me know. So over 2013, we have this great big folder that all our staff has worked very hard. We get information from you folks. And then come about February 1st, we start calling you and say, oh, Susie, you were looking for, you know, this plant in this size at this price. We can get that for you for spring. Here's the price, so on and so forth. Now, a lot of times you found it someplace else maybe, and that's fine. But never hesitate to give us that information because you may forget about it. And then here we are. It's May again, and we're in the same cycle. We weren't able to fulfill your needs. So always fill out a request form if you're looking for something. We may call you throughout the season when we're doing ordering and be able to fulfill your needs, or it'll be the following spring. It's amazing how many people are shocked when we call them in February and go, you were looking for this plant last year. Do you want to order it? And they go, how did you know that? Well, you filled out a request form and probably you forgot about it. So Peter, you know, certainly I don't talk about just the things that are in inventory. A lot of times I'll talk about new plants that are coming in. Um, You know, a lot of times I'll talk about plants that I have interest in, but no, not just the stuff I have in inventory, but To be perfectly honest, a lot of times it is things I talk about. All of those plants that we carry are what I talk about. But if you have interest in other plants, certainly give us a call or send more questions. And here's the last thing. Could you please provide an in-depth discussion on the best spring flowering trees and shrubs for our region? Thanks for doing the show. I appreciate it. Peter, I really appreciate all the information. So let's talk about some of the best flowering trees for spring. Now, I kind of lump spring into April, May. June, it's a little bit of spring, but then we kind of head into, I would say, summer by mid-June. So best spring flowering trees. The first on my list is kind of old-fashioned. I I say crabapple. I think it's a traditional plant for Maine. I think the new varieties hold a lot of disease and insect resistance. Uh, The persistent fruit on them is just amazing. And it's a staple of Maine. It really kind of pulls yards together. Other plants that I think are kind of um, underused here in Maine, pear trees, flowering pear trees, 
You see a lot of them around in commercial sites, but you don't see that many in residential. So I would say flowering pears are another one. Coosa dogwoods, in my opinion, you know, it's in that June time frame. Um, again, more coastal, you know, along the coast, they do much better than they do inland. And cherry trees, not necessarily weeping cherries, but, you know, um, a cherry tree like Accolade is a really nice one. Autumnalis is one of my favorite cherry trees. Has a big bloom in the spring, and come September, you'll get all these little blooms that will kind of pop out. And so it kind of gives you two different time frames, and I really like the fall color on it. We've got a really nice one in the Yarmouth store that's been planted for about 10-plus years now. Um, I really just like the shape of the tree. And, and so autumnalis cherry is one I really like. And who could forget magnolias? Now, magnolias are something that I find have kind of fallen out of favor a little bit um, and can get frosted early in the spring. But... I think with all the new varieties that are, have come out, you know, all the yellows and the new Lilliflora hybrids like Anne and Jane and, and uh, you know, some of those, Betty, that bloom later, the leaves kind of come out about halfway before they bloom. And also the Lilliflora hybrids tend to have a little bit of rebloom in the summer months. I like those varieties. Um not to say I don't like the old-fashioned saucer or star magnolias because I think they're stunning, but I like the little flora hybrids because they typically bloom out of the frost hazard zone where the star magnolias and the um, the saucer magnolias, they you know, we get that warm spell. And this was 2013 spring was prime for this. This nice warm spell, they all pushed out, and then we got three nights of cold, cold weather, and they all got frosted. That's a little bit of frustration to me, but when you have a nice, even, warm spring, you know, kind of warming up, there's nothing better than a magnolia. It's just a stunning, stunning thing. Another spring plant I think is underused is cornus mass or cornelin cherry. Little yellow flowers all over it, early, early, early spring, blooms one of the first flowering trees, and then Beautiful orange-red fruit in the summer and a beautiful golden fall color. Exfoliating bark, so good year-round interest. And as far as spring, that kind of, those are the major players, I would say. I could have forgot one or two. You know, there's a million options and there's a lot of varieties within each of these. You know, like the crab apples, pinks, whites, reds. Dark foliages, light foliages, persistent fruit, big fruit, you know, they can fit so many different options just by the varieties. Different shapes, vase-shaped, rounded, dwarf, funky, weeping. You know, you got to look at the full package on a lot of these plants. You know, what shape do you want? What color flower do you want? And then try to pick a variety that fits those needs. So, Peter, I hope that helps. Certainly don't hesitate to email some more questions or call in when we're doing the live shows. We love it when people call. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. You may 
not know it, but most lawn fertilizers actually spread chemicals and pesticides across your entire lawn. Until now, that's been the history of lawn care products. It's also why Espoma has developed an affordable, all-natural lawn program that is safe for kids and pets. The program consists of four organic fertilizers that are specifically formulated to keep your lawn green. Each product lasts two and a half times longer than traditional chemical products, and they won't burn your lawn or leach away. You already know Espoma as a name you can trust. They've been making organic plant foods like Holly Tone and Plant Tone for over 84 years. Imagine a great-looking lawn that you're not afraid to walk barefoot on. It's a whole new day in lawn care. Look for Espoma organic lawn food products wherever quality lawn and garden products are sold. And visit Espoma.com videos to learn more about organic lawn care. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. You can buy your plants and garden supplies almost anywhere. Wouldn't you rather come to your local garden center? We're the independent garden centers of Maine, working together to ensure you, the customer, gets the best quality advice and service. Visit us at MainIGC.com to see the closest IGC member near you, then stop by your local member garden center, where we'll help you select the best product for Maine's climate and soil. We work together to satisfy you. Visit us at MainIGC.com. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we are hitting another Saturday. First week in February, you know, Mother Nature has been tough on us all of January and even part of December. You know, it's been a cold winter. And last week we talked a little bit about the heating oil and, you know, the pipes frozen and all that. You know, it's been a long winter. And at the beginning of the show we talked a little bit about... You know, the light is at the end of the tunnel, basically. You know, once we turn the corner into February, I always find, you know, the days are starting to get longer. You know, um, a few weeks ago, I was in Florida. And it was amazing to me. You know, it was extremely cold here while I was gone. And I missed that go around. It was perfect. I left the day before. I came back the day it broke. It was amazing. I was like, boy, I dodged a bullet. And, of course, last week was just brutal, you know. It's just been brutal, you know, the last. So I didn't miss all the cold weather. But once we get to February, the sun's getting a little higher in the sky. But what I was saying was in Florida, it was amazing to me just the difference in daylight, what an hour makes. You know, when the sun's going down at 5.30, 6 o'clock, Instead of 4 to 4.30, man, I just had all kinds of energy. I felt different. I didn't feel like going to bed at 8.30. Just everything about my well-being felt totally different. Now I've come back and, you know, the days are getting longer. I can feel it. You know, that little break I had was great for the soul. But not only that, I feel like, okay... We've hit February. Now it's time to think about the fun time in Maine, you know, and mud season's just upon us, okay? I like April. April is just one of those months, number one, it's my birthday month, you know, that Aries in me, you know, but I love the fact that you've got nice, cool, warm days and nice, crisp, cool nights. To me, that is wonderful, but we can plan for April. And, 
you know, at the beginning of the show, I talked a little bit about looking at all those catalogs and those seeds. Now, for me, I'm in the greenhouse. I'm dealing with it now. You know, we're starting to plant all the stuff that we're going to be selling to you. We're, you know, so I'm I'm really two to three months ahead of where you are in the house. So how do you get that fixed? Well, we're basically a month away from opening back up. You know, and so if you get the opportunity at Estabrooks, we're closed. But I would say get out and go visit a garden center. Obviously, you can't mine, but you can go to any other garden center that's open and just walk through the greenhouse. You know, walk in and see the flowers that are in bloom, feel the humidity. You know, if you get an opportunity and you're traveling and can stop into a botanical garden someplace that has a nice solarium, just get that tropical feel and that humidity in the, and it'll just refresh you, okay? But start planning some of the things you want for your garden. So now this time of year, you know, we're getting close to where you should be buying seeds. Even if it's not time to sow them, come up with a plan. When am I going to seed them? Start a gardening calendar, you know, make sure and start putting kind of some of the things in place. Maybe plan your window boxes, how many plants you need, what type of plants did well last year, do you want to change, check out the websites. Gardening catalogs, they're coming every day in the mail, they've been coming for months, you probably have been stacking up, you might have thumbed through them but you really weren't serious about what you needed. Now's the time to fill out some of those orders and get them placed. So before you know it, it'll be March 1st. Think about January. It flew by. It really did. The weeks are just flying by. Things are happening quick. So let's take another question because I can go on and on about planning because I'm already planned for the season. But I just want to stress, go ahead and get things going. So here's a question from Carolyn Wells. I have several agapanthus plants, and over they're all over five years old. Some have been divided, and they were very, very pot-bound. After about two years, they've not bloomed again. I've overwintered them in the basement. How do I get them to bloom again? I do not know the cultivars other than they were a medium blue. The leaves are beautiful, arching, very green, and very healthy plants. I'd very much appreciate them to get to bloom again. So agapanthus. Okay. So this is a tropical plant. Absolutely stunning plant. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, Carol, you are not alone. This plant is tough to get to rebloom. And it's frustrating because I understand your pain. I love the plant. And getting it to rebloom is one of the reasons I don't use the plant a lot. I don't sell the plant a lot. We have a few every year. I used to buy 50, 60, 70, 100 of these plants. We'd sell them, and we run into the same problem every year. Two problems we would have. We always buy them bud and bloom so that they have nice buds on them. They come out, and they bloom, and they look wonderful. If we buy them in and they don't have any flower blooms on them, they're probably not going to flower. Okay, so when you go to a, a, a store, you want to look for plants that have good flower buds or flowers on them. They will flower pretty much all summer that year. How do you get them to rebloom well here in Maine? It's a very tough thing to do, in my opinion. So you're overwintering them in the basement. So they're pretty much going dormant, I assume. 
probably keep some green leaves, but primarily the leaves brown up. They kind of almost go dormant. And then you bring them out and you start them up and you kind of get them activated and growing again. Now, a couple questions I have for you is, when do you do that? Do you wait until spring after the chance of frost? Or do you bring them up, say, now and put them in a sunny window and get them activated? Is there a right or wrong answer? Probably the right answer is you need to get them activated sooner. They're a tropical plant. They're typically shipped from a tropical location. When I was in Florida a couple weeks ago, the agapanthus basically were kind of dormant. They really kind of, you know, there weren't a lot of growth on them. They were kind of in their winter mode, kind of shut down. And so I think we need to try to mimic that in our main conditions. Now, the tough thing is how do we get them warm enough and happy enough? I think there's two things you need to do. You need to actively get them growing in the house to have a long enough season. And secondly, I think you need to supplemental light them. And so with that, I think you need to get a really nice light bulb, at least 100 watts or a grow light, and you need to get them activated in the house earlier. Our season just isn't long enough. And the other thing that's really tough is they like heat and humidity. So our homes are very dry in the winter months. Just our heating systems and everything about it just don't mimic a tropical thing. And that's why it doesn't matter what tropical you use. It tends to be tough getting them through the winter and then out onto the patio because even when the weather stops our frosty time frame, say late May, early June, our temperatures don't mimic a tropical location until July or August. So our tropical conditions here in Maine consist of maybe four weeks, you know, mid-July to mid-August, maybe early September. So it could be four to six to eight weeks that we're tropical-like, and we never really have the humidity. So with agapanthus, that a lot of times is the situation. Now, them being pot-bound, I don't know as I would have divided the clump. What I probably would have done is put it in a bigger pot. Because dividing a lot of times, it's the same thing. It will take a, a, a quite a bit of time for the plant to rebound, gain enough energy to rebloom. When we buy agapanthus as a bare root plant, we have in the past and tried it, it takes a lot of time for them to build up the energy to throw a flower blossom. Now, there's a couple things I would try on top of what we talked about. So we're going to get them activated sooner. We're going to light them. But then we're also going to stress them periodically. We're going to let them wilt. We're going to fertilize them, but we're not going to over-fertilize them. We don't want them to be too happy. You know, with plants, when they're too happy, a lot of times they won't flower. And agapanthus is one of those things that, you know, keep it moderately moist, minimal fertilizer until you see flower buds. Once you see flower buds, you can pick up your fertilizing for a couple weeks, and then we're going to cut right back on the fertilizer again because we want to push good green growth, but we don't really want to push the flowers too quickly. So I hope that helps, you know, um, with agapanthus. It can be extremely tough here in Maine. If you really love the plant, it may be one periodically you just pick up at the garden center, use for the summer, and treat it just like an annual. A lot of the tropicals, that's how I tend to tell people. Tree hibiscus, um, you know, or 
um, Mandevilla, uh, Passionflower, Tibicina, all of these tropicals that come up from Florida, they look absolutely wonderful all summer. But when you, we go, go to overwinter them and we try to get them back to that state in which we bought them, it's very tough. It's just a product of being dark and in Maine and cold. Nothing you're doing wrong. It's just a product of the conditions. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Regular old mulch leaving your plants wanting more? Casella Organics Nutri-Mulch is a superior mulch for improving any landscape. Made in Maine from aged native bark and earthlife compost, its dark color and rich texture are ideal for perennials, ornamentals, trees, and shrubs. Earthlife Nutri-Mulch is nutrient-stabilized with compost, so the bark doesn't compete with plants for nutrients. Visit CaselaOrganics.com or call 800-4-COMPOST for a source near you. I want a great garden this year, but I don't know where to start. Does this sound like you? With so many great plants available, it can be tough knowing which ones are right for you and your home. The gardening pros at Estabrooks can help. Every time I come, they're always helpful to us. They are really knowledgeable about things because I don't know that much about gardening, so they always tell me what you know would be right in my house in the sun and the setting. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, and wrapping up another show. Gosh, the time flies when you're having fun. You know, here it is, February, and we're talking about we're moving forward towards spring. A lot of things happening in the greenhouse. Things are getting busy for us. You know, I know you're, you know, enjoying your winter, you know, staying warm, trying to keep out of trouble, but we're in the middle of it now. We're really kind of getting going and and making our plans finalized for spring, finalizing orders. You know, so like I said earlier in the show, you know, contact if there are specific varieties or needs that you need for spring. You can email us, you know, or contact us via the website or give us a call at the Yarmouth store. We're there basically Monday through Friday, 8 to 430 um, someone's there to answer the phone. If not, leave a message. You know, uh, sometimes if we have a snowstorm, we won't be in, you know. But primarily, you can always get a hold of us somehow. We'll always call you back. Um, but this time of year, you know, it's a struggle. It's a struggle to kind of think about your garden. I wanted to kind of stress one last time, and then I'm going to let this drop, okay? Look out your windows right now. Okay, we're close enough now to plan for those additions for your winter interest. Okay, where you can look at the catalogs, you can look at the website and say, okay, I know now that this is an area that we need to work on. Secondly, don't forget the birds. It's been so cold. You know, check out your suet. Check out some of that. That that suet's extremely important. I, I can't stress enough that winter fat that the birds need, um, you know, and at this time of year, the wildlife is getting to the end of their food supply out there. So, you know, check your bird feeders. Make sure they're not frozen. You know, we've had a lot of rain, ice, you know, snow. If you don't have a lot of birds coming to your bird feeder, ask yourself why. You know, if you don't have squirrels all over the place at this point, 
ask yourself why is it all frozen um, that can be the case. I actually looked at my grandmother's uh, bird feeder, and it was completely frozen the other day. I said, oh, we got to go. So you pop it inside for a day, let it thaw out, you know, throw the seed out on the lawn for the for the uh, animals, and then, you know, put clean it out, dry it, make sure it's nice and dry before you put the new seed in, okay? Maybe try a different seed. You know, if you're not, if the birds aren't liking the seed you're using, uh, you might try a different seed also. And then the suet is very important. You know, that winter fat is really important to the birds. Gives them a lot of nutrients. So check all of those things. If you have some fruits that are spoiling, you know, toss those out there too. You know, if you've got, uh, clementines are just wonderful right now, you know, but I always find there's six or eight, you know, that don't. You know, they get kind of soft by the time you're through them. Toss those out. They'll love those. Absolutely love them. So, you know, a lot of things you can do for the birds, but I want you to keep an eye on the plants, okay? Those winter interest items, you know, we're getting to that time where winter's going to be over in the next month. I know that's such great optimism, isn't it? You know, uh, but probably not. But, you know... I have to think that way. Once we hit March, to me, that's a spring month. Some years it's a winter month, but this year it's going to be a spring month, right? That's what we say every year in February. It's going to be a spring month. Luckily, there's not a lot of frost, not a ton of snow. You know, it comes and goes this time of year. Even if we get a snowstorm, it will melt fairly quickly. So get out and enjoy your yard. Send me a question on our website, estabrooksonline.com backslash radio. Love those questions. Keep sending them, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.